Morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to reiterate this um, Operation Read coming up this this Saturday. Uh, our second value that we uh, we try to live out is to raise the standard of biblical literacy. And one of the uh, requirements of raising the standard of biblical literacy is that people be literate, that they be able to read. And um, um, the guy with the Kiwanis who began this program uh, asked his wife, who was a math teacher, what the kids need most. And she said, they need to know how to read. I can't teach them math if they can't read. And so this project was born out of that necessity and out of that need. And so I want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity to volunteer this Saturday, uh, we'll be running in shifts. There'll be people who are flipping pancakes and people who are cooking sausage and people that are cleaning up. And so we need all kinds of people. Um, we've got uh, a couple of flat tops coming, flat top outdoor grill. I don't know what you call those anymore. It's a griddle, you know, to me. Uh, but uh, a couple of people volunteered to bring those. They have some that they're bringing as well. So we should have four or five or maybe six of those uh, here. And so we'll be putting out pancakes from 7 a.m. to 2. That means uh, I should be here probably around 5. And uh, I would welcome your company. You know, I enjoy having coffee with someone rather than by myself. So, uh, but anyway, we would uh, love for you to be a part of that. You can get with me. Uh, and if you can't volunteer, well, come eat some pancakes, okay? Um, uh, Y'all see the, the ticket prices. Tickets are available at the door. And uh, so you can come and support uh, this worthy, worthy cause. Ruth chapter 3, uh, jumping into this section. Uh, we're switching scenes uh, at this time. I've entitled this, uh, this message, The Making of a Marriage. The Making of a Marriage. Um, Gina and I got married quite early. Um, Gina was 17 years old. I was 18 years old. We were both parents before we were 20. Ricky was born 15 days after our first anniversary, I always like to throw that in there, you know. Uh, and uh, but people will ask us; uh, they they, they want to hear our story. You know, how how did y'all meet? Why did y'all get married so young? And our answer in stereo is survival. We were both products of divorce. Uh, I had no place to lay my head. I, I bounced from relatives to friends, to my car. That was my living situation. And uh, so it was very much survival, both being products of divorce. And uh, everybody told us how dumb we were, you know, getting married so early, man, you can't survive on what you're making and all this stuff. Heard all these different stories and everything. And, and uh you know, here we are, 38 years later, and we, we've made it so far. Um, divorce isn't a problem, but she might, you know, one day. She watches all these shows, you know, murder shows. I think she's trying to find a way of not getting caught, but, you know. No, but we've had a wonderful life together. Raised up three beautiful sons that love Jesus. And, you know, the making of a marriage, it, it doesn't always start out the way that you think. It doesn't always have the greatest motives behind it. Fortunately, God in his sovereign providence works and does and accomplishes his will. And he does that. I don't recommend our way of making a marriage. 
a beginning one. There are better ways. I want to talk about some of those today because I think that's one of the things that is pouring through this narrative today. At the close of chapter 2, Naomi urges Ruth to remain close to the young women of Boaz. She does this, one, because I believe uh, there's an assurance of protection um, among them. Um, And him staying there, or him saying, follow after my women, be a part of the women that are gleaning and reaping and so forth. I think uh, he's offering a, 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 a sense of protection there. But also with this request, they stay with these women is the possibility of more opportunities of Boaz extending favor to Ruth and also them running into each other from time to time. I think Naomi's thinking to herself, Boaz, he's a good guy. Hey, Ruth, might want to stick close to Boaz there. Kind of throwing his name out there. I think moms do that, you know their daughters and with their sons you know hey have you seen that Gina oh yeah I've seen her she's a nice girl so Naomi is protecting and guarding another thing that this last verse tells us is it kind of gives us a time frame There in verse 23 of chapter 2, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The barley and wheat harvest lasted about six to seven weeks. So that kind of gives us a time frame between Ruth going after the women of Boaz and gleaning and reaping and the time for the winnowing or the harvest and uh, taking it and processing the grain. And that's the scene we have, a threshing floor later in the, in the text. This place where grain is processed right out there in the field. My best understanding is that there would be sheaves laid out there and they would make a round threshing floor and it would be somewhat large and they would uh, not only uh, open it up, but they would chalk it to where nothing else could grow up in that, in that area. Uh, if you've been to Ethiopia, you've probably seen the process actually, looking out in the field and seeing people throwing something up in the air. And it's the heads of grain, and the chaff is blowing off, and the grain is falling down, and they use every part of the product. The chaff, they'll gather up and use it to stuff things. The, the, the straw off of the, uh, off of the stalk, they'll use it for fodder for animals. Uh, the grain, of course, is food. And so that's the scene that we're going to be seeing, and it's actually six to seven weeks after the end of chapter 2, we see Naomi saying to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? She's saying, I sure would like to be instrumental in you having a husband. That's what the rest is. It's you having someone to love you and care for you. There's a couple of laws that it's important for us to understand moving into this section of Ruth. And that is the the law of uh, regarding the leveret marriage and the law regarding the kinsman redeemer. Both of those play into this chapter uh, and the remainder of the book of Ruth. So leveret marriage... Uh, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E is how you spell that. And we can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and we can see what the law concerning the leveret marriage is. 
in chapter 25 of Deuteronomy. Turn with me there, and let me just kind of introduce you to this, this thought, this concept. You've probably heard it before, but I want you to see it happening uh, in the text as we move on through Ruth. So Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, it says there, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So Malon was Ruth's husband. He had a brother, but he died too. And so the leveret marriage could not happen. In fact, Ruth was free to go. But she'd made a promise, and she'd made a commitment. We'll get to that in a moment. So a brother was to uh, take his dead brother's wife and make her his wife, and the son, the first son that was born, would bear the name of the dead brother. And what was the reason? So his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So this has to do with having an heir. Someone who would inherit land. Someone who would inherit the, the things of their father and so forth. So we see this taking place. Now this, even today I believe, has repercussions. And I'll say that after I deal with kinsman redeemer i'm giving y'all by, by the way a very high view of this uh in terms of we're flying really high at a high altitude and you're not seeing all the details but i just want you to see that there was a process that existed and i want you to know it existed before the law before the law of moses you'll find it in genesis chapter 38 uh where uh the the uh I should have looked it up better and read it. You know, it just completely went away. Uh, I believe it was with Judah and, and, and uh, all that stuff. And this, uh, he wouldn't give his sons uh, to uh, his daughter-in-law anymore because they kept dying off. And so we see that that came to an end. He stopped doing that. So it existed before the law. That's one of those things where you see that God took something that man was already doing and incorporated it. It was God's idea in the first place. But then we have the law of the kinsman redeemer. And if you'll look with me at Leviticus chapter 25, we'll see in chapter 25, verse 23, where he says, and the Lord is speaking, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. That's an important thought, okay? The land belongs to God. Where did the people of Israel get the land? They got it from God, okay? The land is mine. Let me tell you how that land is to be distributed and carried out. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it, and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. This is very much about property. Think about the land and passing it down. Who does it belong to? To which tribe, to which clan, to which family? That was the purpose of this and the interconnectivity of the leveret marriage that went along with it. 
And so redemption could be made and the land remained intact with Israel. If you think this doesn't have uh, an effect today, the most disputed and fought over land in the world is Israel to this day. And so uh, what's being seen here is God's protection of his people and the property. And the leveret marriage and the kinsman redeemer have to do with that. But also, it's tied to the year of Jubilee, where God returned, uh, where the land was to return back to those who had forfeited it in some way. So it's a mercy that God has established for the sake of families and for the sake of the land and for the sake of upholding His promise. Those are two things I wanted you to have at least a small amount of knowledge about as we continue on. Let's look at the narrative now and see how this plays out. And we'll be seeing these two things over the course of the next few weeks. We see that Naomi, after six, seven weeks in the land, um, has a desire for her daughter-in-law. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. You may remember near the end of chapter 1, how she said, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. But Naomi is not playing the victim because I want you to know a victim doesn't have a strategy. Victims don't have plans. Their plan is to be the victim. Not a strategy to move beyond it. Naomi has a strategy. And she has a desire for her daughter-in-law that she have a husband, that she find rest. Ruth, you may recall, took it upon herself to make provision for Naomi. And favor was poured out to her, and she came back with a whole bunch of food. And now Naomi, after six or seven weeks, is saying, you know what, I want you to find rest. All this grain is going to run out but I want you to find rest. I want you to have a husband. Have you seen Boaz, Ruth? He's a good guy. He's a relative. He's a redeemer. He has the legal opportunity to redeem. I can sell him a Limelech's land. He can redeem it. I can't keep it but he can. So she had a plan for Ruth. Listen to this plan, okay? Here's Naomi's plan. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. That's what they did, all right? When the harvest came in, they had all these men out there, all these laborers, but the owner was out there too because he had an investment he needed to bring in. He needed to bring that in for the, for the money and, and everything else and to guard that. So he was out there. He was guarding it. They would sleep there all night. And so she says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, All that you say, I will do. This is her plan. Now, there's some commentaries you can read, and they say, well, this is part of the culture. And then there, there's some commentaries that say, we don't know what she was telling her to do. It's kind of interesting how uh, different people have different perspectives on 
this text. But Naomi was saying, look, I need you to put yourself, you're going to put yourself in front of him. This is the making of a marriage is what's going on. Kind of like Boaz is a, a good guy, all right? And you need to put yourself out there. She's kind of saying, you know what, my plan is risky. But it's a plan. And I think it'll work. So prepare yourself for marriage. I want to help you get a husband. Boaz is the man for you. He's going to be down at the threshing floor. Now, Ruth, go take you a bath. Ruth, oil up. You know, I mean, look. All these oils and stuff you put on, they ain't new. Right? Naomi had these things. These essential oils and stuff. Naomi had some, uh, Naomi, Ruth had some, some essential oils. She dabbed a little bit here and a little bit here, you know. Rub a little bit in her hair, you know. How about this advice, by the way? Hey, Ruth, you really need to take a bath. What do you think? Would I be insulted by that? And you need to put these oils on so that you smell good. And you need to get dressed, you know? Some would think that she's making herself all pretty and everything so that Boaz will go, but y'all need to understand something. This is all being done at night, all right? He's, he can't even see her. But she is saying, make yourself attractive for marriage. Young ladies, there's a difference between making yourself attractive and making yourself seductive. Make yourself attractive by all means. But making yourself seductive creates a whole different thing for a man and brings about temptation you don't want to give in. Ruth doesn't seem to be offended by the implication that she doesn't smell great. So she does what she says. It says. She washes and she puts this on. And it says to put on this cloak. Understand the cloak. A mantle, if you will, is what it's called. Uh, is something that covers all of her. The intent is stealth. You can hear it in what she says. Go down to the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. There's going to be other men out there. They're on other threshing floors right out there in the field. And, and I want you to pay attention where he lies down. You see the stealth? I mean, I don't know. Maybe this was a camo cloak, Okay. And she was hiding amongst the olive trees or something of Bethlehem, you know. Uh, maybe it was a cloak that of, of wool and she was kind of in with the sheep or something. I don't know, but the sense here is stealth. Don't let him see you. He's going to be there in the evening time. It's going to grow dark. I want you to pay attention where he lies down. He's going to lie down where his grain is and on his threshing floor where he's been working all day long. Pay attention. Because I don't want you going up to a different man other than Boaz. I think that's what's behind this. You need to know where he is. You need to know it's him you're going to. 
I think Naomi knows enough about the character of Boaz from the actions and the favor that he has shown Ruth to know this man is not going to take advantage of you. That's one of the risks, by the way. He could. One of the risks is, is that, Ruth, he could shun you. And he could mock you and think, how presumptuous of you. There's risk involved in this, Ruth. But here he comes. Know where he is. Know where he lies down so that you, when you go up to him, you know it's him. Know where he is. And then it says this. Then go uncover his feet and lie down. And the lie down is at his feet. That actually was a cultural thing where if there was a situation where they were out in the fields and the, the master was out there and the servants were out there, they would sleep at the master's feet. And she calls herself a servant, which is something she hadn't, a word she hadn't used, nor has anyone used concerning her. Uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. But why uncover the feet? What's going on here? Now, I tell you what, I tell you, different people have different opinions about this, and the commentaries vary. Some of them say there's a lot of sexual innuendo going on here. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. What I do buy is Naomi giving her instructions to listen to Boaz, and I think she's counting on the character of the man. Say, well, why uncover his feet? That's what's going to wake him up in the middle of the night. Y'all ever wake up with your feet poked out of the covers? And your feet get cold? Y'all ever do that? I do that. My old feet cold, I tell you. This old boy's going to wake up. And I'm going to get my feet back up underneath the covers. Or I'm going to go get me some hunting socks and put on. You know, something. I really think that's what's going on there. Uncover his feet. Why? You can see Ruth going, why would I do that? I really believe it's just about this is what's going to wake him up. Under the cover of darkness. You don't want him sleeping all the way through the night. Morning coming and then people seeing you out there with Boaz. And then Ruth says, all that you say, I will do. We'll come back to that. It'll get picked up over here in just a moment. But Naomi had a plan. This was a plan to, for Ruth to have rest. For Ruth to be able to have a husband and have a future. Next, I want us to see Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor. She did as Naomi said. Understand Ruth had no obligation for what she is doing. The Leveret marriage required the brother-in-law or the brother to take the wife. She's a daughter-in-law. She has no obligation in this because there is no brother. That's why Orpah could go back to Moab and among her people and find a husband there. No problem. Ruth could have done the same thing and still could. She could marry anyone being a foreigner that would take her at this point. But she did as she said. And it says there in verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet. 
it's, it's, a, it's a quiet scene. Ruth is sneaking up. Came softly. She probably waited for him to get to sleep and then she goes up and uncovers his feet and lays down. And maybe a couple of hours later, you know, the cool of the night sets in. Those old piggies, they start getting cold and toasty, maybe turning a hint of blue. And it says here that at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. I don't think she tickled his feet, okay? I think instead the feet were cold and that's what startled him. And he woke up and he realized there's someone here. And he said, who are you? And she answered him. I am Ruth, your servant. Notice what Ruth didn't do. Naomi said, he will tell you what to do. Huh. Ruth is very intentional in her purpose for being there, and she states that purpose. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant or your skirt over your servant, for you are a redeemer. That's a marriage proposal if I ever heard one. And that's exactly what's going on there. She's proposing marriage to him. We see uh, this in Ezekiel 16, 8. You turn with me there. Uh, God, I, have to, I, had, I had to stop and say the major prophets in my head to remember where Ezekiel is. I didn't mark it. Ezekiel 16, 8. Uh, in that text in, in Ezekiel, we see God describing the Lord's faithless bride and he say, tells, is telling some things that he has done for Israel. And in chapter 16 of Ezekiel, verse 8, uh, we see him say this, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. So we see the language of Ezekiel 16.8 and God uh, saying that Israel, you are mine. You're my beloved. You're my bride. Of course, he goes on in Ezekiel and talks about how faithless that bride was. But here I just want you to see the scene of a proposal of marriage. Ruth is making that proposal, I believe, very much so with Boaz. He's saying, spread your wings or your garment over me. Garment of protection. In this proposal is the promise that Ruth made to Naomi. Remember what she said to Naomi back in chapter 1? She said, your people shall be my people. Or Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me uh, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Remember what I said about Ruth? She's under no obligation to be redeemed. She's under no obligation to carry on the name of Malon and therefore carry on the name of Elimelech. She's doing this because of her devotion, her loyalty to Naomi. This promise that she made, she's keeping it. And she's putting herself out 
very vulnerable here. Another thing that's happening here is the prayer of Boaz in 2.12 is taking shape. Look there, chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The Lord repay you. I mean, Boaz, he's, he's praying. Lord, repay her for the goodness that she's shown. Give her the full price of what she's doing. And God, answering Boaz's prayer, is providentially providing for Ruth by the same one who prayed. He's taking the willful actions of Ruth and Boaz and using them to accomplish his sovereign purpose. Boaz is blown away. I mean, he's blown away. There's a couple of reasons I think this is true. One, we see what he says. He says, he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Verse 10. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. <laughs> What's the first kindness? Chapter 1, verse 8, which I just read a moment ago. The kindness that you showed to Naomi. This is in step with it. And this is greater than the first kindness because you don't have to be doing this. And you are. All part of Naomi's plan, isn't it? All part of God's plan. God's providing and blessing in the willful actions of these three people. Now I want you to notice another thing. The integrity of Boaz. We take this story and read it through a 21st century mindset, even if you're a Christian. And we turned this into what it's not. But I want you to look at the integrity of Boaz. Right after he says that, verse 11, he says, And now my daughter... By the way, the second thing, I didn't bring this up. Another reason uh, that, that uh, he's talking about this kindness. But also the kindness that she could have gone after other men. Came to him. He's probably 20 to 25 years her senior. She's probably between 20 and 25, more than likely between 25 and 30. He's old enough to have all this property and, and be the owner of it, which means his parents are gone. He said, you didn't go after younger men, but you have loved me. You've come to me. And look what he says. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Isn't that great? <laughs> I mean, you wives are kind of like, boy, I wish my husband talked to me like that. Some of y'all are going, I don't want him to tell me I'm a worthy woman, you know. Man, do y'all hear? There's love in that. I mean, there's desire in that. There, there is the elders at the gate boasting about their wives in Proverbs 31. That's what's going on. You're a worthy woman. He goes on, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I am. 
I want you to notice something. He says, you're a worthy woman, but also we see this. He's an honest man. He's like, even at the risk of losing you, I have to do what is right. There's another redeemer closer than you. And if he wants to redeem you, very well. If not, I will redeem you. Verse 13, remain tonight. Verse 14, let's go on through that. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if not, if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning but arose before one could recognize another. Still have that stealth thing going on. It's still dark. What did he say? Remain tonight. Lie down until the morning. You're safe here with me. I'm going to redeem you. A lot of people want to turn this into a sexual innuendo. The thing is, Boaz is kind of like, no, I'm staying back. He is here resisting that, that temptation. You lay there. We'll make this all legal tomorrow. And he does. That's next week. But can I pull a few things out of here real quick and encourage you? Parents, grandparents, young men, young women. Those of you who are not married, please stop doing whatever you're doing where you're looking down and pay attention to me. Thank you. Just for these few moments, I want you to hear these words. Because I think one of the applications that comes out of here, out of this, is how a marriage is made. In a right way, in a godly way. There's a great need to redeem marriage in our society. Y'all know that. I don't have to go into the details of that. Marriage is still marriage, by the way. True marriage is still true marriage. And we, as the people of God, need to uphold it rightly. Even among Christians, it's turned into a Facebook event. And it seems to be more about the pictures that can be taken rather than the union that can be made. Everybody trying to outdo each other. Everybody trying to have the thing, whatever you call them. I don't know. I didn't have girls, you know. I just had to show up, all right. I had to cook brisket, you know, and I had to show up. Young ladies, if you're going to find a husband, you need to bathe, put on perfume, and dress, get dressed. I mean, that's something you need to do. But like I said, make yourself attractive, but not seductive. That's the first step. Second step, I, I don't have daughters. There's a reason for that. I would have 37-year-old virgins living in my house. God knew what he was doing. But I have counseled enough in marriage, both in good and brokenness, to be able to give some counsel in this. Young ladies, listen to the men who have loved you. Listen to the men who have loved you. Used to, a father had to sign off, really, on his daughters getting married. Still kind of a thing, but it's kind of become a formality. And it needs to be more than that. 
listen to the men who have loved you. Man, your, your, your fathers have loved you. And if your father hasn't loved you, some man has rightly loved you. Whether it be an uncle or a brother or some Christian man that has had influence in your life, you listen to them. Because they'll have your very best at heart. And they know the rottenness of men. They are one. You listen to the men who have loved you. Secondly, fathers, uncles, grandfathers, men of Christian integrity and love. Who have influenced young ladies. But mostly fathers. Don't be passive. About your responsibility. In giving your daughters away. Don't be passive in that. He needs to think training to be a member of a Navy SEAL team. Would be easier. Than what he's going through. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to have breakfast with Ricky and my granddaughter Madeline. I have five granddaughters. Lord figured I could take that. I'd have probably been in prison earlier if I had daughters, but I hadn't been in prison, just to clarify. <laughs> It could have happened. <laughs> but we're sitting down to breakfast, and we're at the Huddle House, and we're enjoying pancakes and stuff. And We get through. We've talked, and we've had a great time. And They're on their way home, and Ricky looks over at Madeline and says, you know your first date's going to look a lot like that, right? And she said, Okay. I love that she said okay. I'm holding her to it. And the second date and the third date and the fourth date. Men, you have been given a precious gift in a daughter. And God has given you responsibility to shepherd her to love her. You are the example of manhood and a man. And she wants you or better. Please, don't set the bar down any more. You set it up yourself. Young men, be strong, courageous, gentle, loving, humble. The girls are not impressed with many of the things of your masculinity. They want to know if you will love them no matter what. Their fathers want to know if you're going to protect them with the same fervor that they have and love them with the same depth that they have. Young men have the integrity of Boaz not to take advantage of any woman. Young men, listen to your moms. They know manipulation. All the women just went, hmm. <laughs> yeah, they do. Because many women will manipulate to get what they want. And they'll do it with all the wiles that they have. 
listen to your moms. They can spot it. Young men, I got four things here. I've said them before, and I'm going to say them again, and you write them down, and if you want to know what they mean, I'll be glad to talk with you about them. There are four things I taught my sons, and I think they've tried to live it out to the best of their ability, and I've been seeing them. And that is that real men reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and invest eternally. Don't be passive. Be responsible. Any fool can go off and just please himself. But it takes a man to have a desire to care for the needs of others and put those first. I see Boaz doing that. I see Naomi doing that. I see Ruth doing that. I see all these characters in this narrative doing it. And at the very, very forefront of their motive, I believe, is the design of God. Live out the design of God. Make a marriage. I got one more thing. I just missed it in the first part. Young ladies, if your fathers say no, it's no. He loves you. He cares for you. Your grandfather, if your father's not around and it's your grandfather, if he says no, listen to him. They love you. Like no other. And they have loved you forever. Ever since you've been born, they have loved you. Listen to them. Let's pray. Father, there are Christian standards that you have established that sometimes, Lord, we let slide. And I pray, God, that we would take very seriously the role that we have of influencing another generation in regard to marriage and love uh, and, Lord, just the relationship between a husband and wife and the relationship of parents growing up and teaching their children to grow and to walk with integrity and to live and to love fully in your might and in your power. And, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us Uh, to comprehend all the ways, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for the integrity that you show us in the life of Boaz and the loyalty that you show us in the life of, uh, of Ruth and the hope that you show us in the life of Naomi. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would incorporate in each one of us, Lord, those attitudes, those ways of thinking and ways of life that we would raise up children, to be men and women who love Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen.